Welcome back to another episode of Revealed Apologetics. I'm your host, Eli Ayala, and uh, today, uh, doing things a little differently. Uh, today, I will be recording. This podcast is being uh, just audio recorded. It's not, uh, it does not have a corresponding uh, YouTube video, which is mostly the case with, uh, uh, with this show. Every um, episode is typically pre-recorded on Facebook and YouTube, and then I transfer the audio over into the, uh, the podcast. But today, um, I'm feeling podcasty today, if that's a real word, um, and just wanted to um, do an episode um, focusing in on, on, I think, important elements of, of presuppositional apologetics. And uh, I know that this is a very popular topic right now, whether you love the methodology or you hate the methodology. Um, it is a topic that I, I find a lot of people talking about on social media, um, and of course, folks who support Revealed Apologetics are interested in it, whether directly or indirectly, or um, they want to critique it or they want to learn it. Um, so I figured I would go through uh, some basic elements um, of the presuppositional method in this episode, and hopefully folks will find it uh, helpful and useful and uh, will you know, encourage them to go a little deeper. All right. So uh, that's what I'm going to be talking about today. Now, I will be having a very interesting episode coming up in, um, well, actually on Tuesday. I'll be having Dr. Jason Lyle, who is an astrophysicist and noted young earth creationist. Um, I'll have him on my show on uh, Tuesday, February. Let me double check that. Okay, let's see here. February. I, I should be able to figure this out because just in a couple of days. <laughs> February 16th. There we go. Uh, February 16th, I'll have uh, Dr. Jason Lyle on to interact with a video that was put out by Michael Jones of Inspiring Philosophy. And I've had Michael Jones on the show before. Uh, very nice guy, at least in, in, in my experience with him. He's been a, a gentleman, and I really enjoyed that episode when he came on. Um, but he is also an outspoken critic of young earth uh, creationism. And so he put out a video, 10 Biblical Objections Against Young Earth Creationism, and I figured it might be a good idea to have someone like Dr. Jason Lyle to come on and respond and defend the young earth creation position. Now, a lot of people who follow my material will also be aware of the fact that on this specific topic, I am somewhat of an agnostic. I'm kind of not sure where I land, um, I tend to lean towards a young earth creationist perspective, uh, given what I see in the text. It seems to be the strongest position um, exegetically. Um, however, I do understand that there are arguments from uh, different schools of thought and uh, different interpretations of, of Genesis uh, 1 and 2 and so forth. Um, but at any rate, these topics are of interest to me, and so I thought it'd be great to have someone like Dr. Lyle uh, interact with um, Michael Jones' uh, material and his criticisms of young earth creationism. If all things work out, I have no idea if this is going to work out, but I think it would be a great conversation. I'm in the works of trying to get Dr. Lyle um, on my show along with Michael Jones of Inspiring Philosophy uh, to discuss these issues of theistic evolution and uh, young earth creationism and the biblical uh, support, you know, one way or the other, right? I think that'd be an excellent conversation, and so I'm in the works of trying to get that done, and I'll definitely keep folks informed about that. So 
at any rate, if you have found uh, Revealed Apologetics helpful, um, please uh, go on to iTunes and write a review. That's super helpful, and I greatly appreciate it. Uh, the reviews on there, uh, as of now, are all uh, very good and 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 very nice. Um, and so, if you found the the um, the content helpful, I, I'd greatly appreciate it if you just take a few minutes and and go on iTunes and uh, you know. Click those little star icons. Give me some, uh, what is it? I think it's five stars or something like that. Um, if you're really enjoying it, write a little review. That'd be greatly appreciated. Um, also, um, if you're interested in signing up for my online class, Teaching Presuppositional Apologetics, you can do that by visiting revealedapologetics.com. And there is a, um, a window there. You can click on the, on the menu and open the window to uh, sign up for that online class in which you'll receive five lectures that I that I teach the methodology, different aspects of it. Um, you'll get the outlines, the class outlines, the PowerPoints, uh, and all that jazz. And if that is something that interests you, then definitely avail yourself of that on the website, revealedapologetics.com. All right? Well, without further ado, let's jump right in, okay? Presuppositional apologetics. Unfortunately, that's a mouthful, and it sounds super complicated, uh, but in reality, it is actually not that complicated. It is what I believe uh, to be a biblical way of defending the Christian faith, okay? And as Christians, we want to defend the faith biblically. We're not just defending the Bible, but the method by which we defend the Bible has to itself be consistent with the biblical teaching, right? We want to defend the faith biblically, all right? Um, and so when we do apologetics and we engage with the unbeliever, we want to be very careful to keep things in its proper perspective, okay? Oftentimes within apologetic encounters, uh, it is the unbeliever who is standing as judge over God, okay? And that's typically how uh, the apologetical interaction takes place, right? We have the unbeliever and we have the believer and the believer tries to point out evidences so that we can lead them to the conclusion that God exists by the use of our reason and, and evidences and arguments and things like that. Okay, and of course, all those things have their um, their their place to be sure. Uh, but we want to be careful that we can engage in those things in a way that is it is itself not honoring to Christ. Right? We do not honor Christ when our apologetic places um, the Lord of all the earth on trial, um, and so we want to be very careful of that. John Calvin, in his um, commentary of First Peter chapter three verse fifteen, says this quote. Contentious disputes arise from the fact that many think less honorably than they ought of the greatness of divine wisdom and are carried away by profane audacity. Okay, I'm going to read that again. John Calvin, in his commentary on 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, which is our key apologetic text, right? That's kind of the, the biblical passage that most people uh, go to. If you go to a talk on apologetics, you know, and someone's trying to convince the church why they should be defending the faith— uh, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15 is, is typically the verse that, um, that people turn to. Um, so John Calvin had this to say with regards to that passage. He says, Contentious disputes arise from the fact that many think less honorably than they ought of the greatness of divine wisdom and are carried away by profane audacity. Okay? Now that's a very interesting statement, especially since it is um, related to 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. I think this is very important to understand. Contentious disputes do arise from the fact that many think less honorably than they ought of the divine wisdom. What is divine wisdom? Where is divine wisdom found? Well, that's the Word of God, okay? Oftentimes, we don't have confidence 
in the divine wisdom found in the Word of God, and so we will adopt um, methods of argumentation, methods of reasoning that do not take as its base, its ultimate foundation, its ultimate context out of which everything else makes sense. We do not take the Word of God as our starting point, our source of knowledge. And rather, we appeal to elemental um, uh, principles of worldly thinking and worldly philosophy. I think that's something we need to be very careful of, right? Um, verse Peter chapter 3, verse 15 says, Sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to set forth a defense to everyone who asks you for a reason to count uh, concerning the hope in you, yet with gentleness and Respect. Sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to set forth a defense to everyone who asks you for a reasoned account concerning the hope in you, yet with gentleness and respect. Okay? Very, very important. A truly Christian defense of the faith must never fail to exalt Christ as Lord over all. Sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. Uh, biblically speaking, your heart is not, uh, the heart in that passage is not referring to the organ in your chest. Uh, that refers to your thinking, the center of your being. Uh, some people refer to the heart as the seat of the will, that intellectual capacity that goes into decision making. Christ should be Lord over our minds, okay? And that is a truly Christian defense, a, a defense that is grounded in the Lordship of Jesus Christ, including his Lordship over our argumentation and our reasoning, okay? An apologetic that builds on any other rock than Christ does not honor the greatness of divine wisdom. It is foolishly and audaciously erected on the ruinous sands of human authority. That's a quote from Greg Bonson. Okay, A truly Christian defense of the faith, the, uh, faith must never fail to exalt uh, Christ as Lord overall, including argumentation and reasoning. An apologetic that builds on any other rock than Christ does not honor the greatness of divine wisdom. It is foolishly and audaciously erected on the ruinous sands of human authority. Okay? What is your apologetic based on? Do you find yourself appealing to the authority of Scripture? Or do you find yourself swimming around in the philosophical schools of thought, adopting all of the, that philosophical jargon and appeals to uh, the unbeliever's supposed autonomous ability to reason and make sense out of the world? What foundation are you standing on? Okay, um, That's a very important question uh, to, to consider. For the Christian, apologetics stands upon the self-attesting word of God and does not first submit to the wisdom and elementary principles of worldly philosophy. Isn't that right? And when we first submit our reasoning to the elementary principles of worldly philosophy and not upon Christ, then we're actually uh, starting our apologetic, our thinking, our reasoning, our argumentation from a foundation that is not under the lordship of Christ. That is not honoring to Christ. Okay? It is idolatry in our thinking. We do not engage in apologetics in a fashion that is neutral and autonomous, Right? Since such a posture would be faithless to our faithful Lord, making way for unbelieving thought patterns instead of thought patterns that are governed by the Lordship of Jesus Christ over all our thinking and reasoning. We do not want to defend our faithful Lord with a faithless philosophical outlook. We do not want to defend our faithful Lord with a faithless foundation, a foundation that does not rest upon God himself, as he reveals himself in his word, okay? Jesus Christ must be Lord over all areas of our lives and our thinking and our reasoning. 
Now, the unbeliever would love for us to engage the God question, right? As though God were on trial and not the unbeliever himself, right? We talk about the God question. We come from the perspective that uh, there are people who are truly ignorant of God. And all we need to do is convince them that God exists by appealing to various evidences, right? Okay. We need to approach the question in a neutral fashion, a a no one knows as of yet sort of um, starting point. But that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that all men have a knowledge of God. We're not dealing with innocent, ignorant individuals. Rather, we're dealing with people who are suppressing the truth in unrighteousness. Okay. Unbelievers would would have us argue for God as though their position were, were true, right? And the God whose existence we are seeking to prove was ambiguous and unclear, right? Maybe God exists, maybe he doesn't. That's the, that's the kind of perspective that the unbeliever would like us to approach the question, okay? They would have us demonstrate God through independent, neutral, and, quote, unbiased demonstration as though that were possible, right? Remember, and this is what Bonson, uh, Dr. Bonson um, taught us, when you um, study uh, Dr. Bonson's books and his lectures, um, he had very interesting ways of saying things that were helpful to remember. But he says this. He says, the unbeliever is not neutral, and you shouldn't be. Okay? The unbeliever is not neutral, and you shouldn't be. When you are defending your Christian faith and you are asked to approach the question neutrally without your bias, okay, the unbeliever is not doing that, and you shouldn't do it since you do have a bias, Right? Because you are leaning towards or you're standing upon the authority of Christ and you're not moving from that foundation, okay? We are unashamedly biased towards the gospel, okay? And um, we have um, no problem admitting that. That's very important, right? There is no neutrality, the Bible teaches. In Matthew 12, 30, uh, it says, Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters, right? There is no neutrality. Part of the Christian worldview includes the impossibility of neutrality, given the fact that all things are created by God and bear witness to the God who created all things. Okay? There is no approaching facts in a neutral, no one knows as of yet, sort of fashion. For unless you understand a fact as God has created it, then you do not understand that fact truly. Okay? And we are standing on the foundation of God's revelation to give us meaning, cogency, intelligible experience, all these things. Okay? There is no neutrality with regards to these things, and we should not be neutral in our approach. And therefore, as Christians, fully reliant upon God for all things, um, our uh, worldview constitutes a necessity of revelation. We are, as Christians, a revelatory people in that we believe that all things are revelatory of God. Okay, the big old fancy word that we would use that has uh, it's kind of a philosophical terminology, but I think it's useful in this context, is we hold to what is called a revelational epistemology. A revelational epistemology. Okay, revelational referring to the fact that God reveals, and epistemology is uh, that aspect of uh, one's worldview that deals with the nature of and the nature and the possibility of knowledge. It is your theory of knowledge. Our theory of knowledge as Christians is that all knowledge comes through revelation, even knowledge of self, okay? Uh, we are revelation of God, not just the things we see around us. We ourselves are a revelation of God. Our very rational capacities are revelatory of the God in whose image we were created, right? These are really important elements to keep in mind, and that's why we're not neutral, right? 
we're committed to embracing what God has said about us as being revelatory of, of our maker and about the world, the external world. The heavens declare the glory of God, okay? As believers committed to the lordship of Christ over all things, even our reasoning and argumentation, we stress the necessity of God's revelation with respect to knowledge and understanding. As Proverbs 1, 7 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Or Colossians 2, 3, in Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. All right? The presuppositional apologist takes those verses very seriously because the, the teaching of Scripture forms the bedrock of our worldview perspective. Okay? Now, since God has created and by implication has defined all things, we know that God created all things, right? Genesis 1. We never understand anything truly unless we understand it in light of God's understanding. For as Psalm 36, 9 says, in his light, we see light. All right, that's a, a good scripture passage, Psalm 36, 9, that kind of summarizes the presuppositional approach. And when we speak of the presuppositional approach, pardon, I need to get my, my sip of coffee. When we speak of the presuppositional approach, there is narrow application with regards to apologetics. But a presuppositional approach is not simply an apologetic method. It is a way of thinking. It is a way of living. It is a way of applying the lordship of Jesus Christ over every aspect of our lives. Okay? And so we are called to think presuppositionally, standing upon the authority of God's word. We are to um, think in those categories in every area of our life, not just apologetics how we treat our family, how we treat our neighbor. All those things are under the lordship of Jesus Christ and are governed by the authority of God's word. Okay? But with respect to um, understanding the world and as it relates to apologetic interaction, if we do not understand the world as God has created it and revealed it, and we instead stand upon the foundations of the unbeliever, we're standing on a foundation that is, as the Bible says, robbed of the treasures of wisdom and knowledge found only in Christ. We instead stand upon what the scriptures call, when we are not standing upon Christ, we are instead standing upon what the scriptures call vain and foolish thinking, Romans 1.21. And we stand upon a foundation that is described as being darkened in understanding, alienated from God, and having a heart that is, blind, uh, that is blinded, Ephesians 4.18. Now, the one who would be committed to Christ desires not to stand upon the shifting sands of human autonomy and independence of God, but rather we want to stand on the sure rock of God's word. Okay? Think about the presuppositional approach as simply believing God's word when we're engaging the unbeliever. Okay? This truth is so foundational that I think, uh, again, and I have no qualms quoting uh, Greg Bonson at length, uh, he captures this beautifully. He captures this situation beautifully, this, this um, self-attesting God who reveals himself, right? He says this, uh, Dr. Bonson says, quote, God's self-attesting revelation must be taken as the firm foundation of all knowledge, the final test for truth, and the standard for living. We are under obligation to submit every facet of our lives to Scripture, whether it be morals, vocation, emotions, deliberations, reasoning, or even the use of logic, unquote. Wow. The Lordship of Jesus Christ. That is what the presuppositional apologist is called to. That's what the Christian is called to. Bringing every thought captive, not just apologetical issues, issues in science, 
our philosophy of life, our worldview, everything that we believe is brought under the authority of God's word. The word of God is that context through which all things within our worldview is to be understood. And we stand upon that word even when we're repeatedly told that we shouldn't or that we must rest upon something more foundational and so forth. No, there is nothing more foundational for the believer than the authority of God given to us in Revelation. Because the word of God is so central and because God's revelation is so necessary for the, the very intelligibility of human experience, we stress the necessity of revelation for any human understanding whatsoever. Right? We, if you think about it, we therefore do not argue as Christians for a mere probability of God's existence. Right? Because God's God is our foundation is so necessary, we don't argue for his probable existence. A biblically faithful apologetic is one in which nothing stands over God, neither possibility or contingency, our Lord overall, but rather the authoritative and revelational Christ stands over all, giving all things their meaning and their cogency. God is the Lord over what's possible and impossible. And so the answer to the often posed question when, when people ask, is it possible for you to be wrong about the existence of the God of the Bible? What's the biblically faithful answer? The biblically faithful answer would be no. As, as Dr. Bonson said, quote, the Christian apologist must not trade away the certainty of knowing God for a probability or subjective moral conviction. He must unashamedly presuppose the truth of the word of Christ in Scripture as congruous with the inescapable self-revelation of God in nature and man's constitution. Okay? That's how we are to honor God. We do not take God as a probable God. We take God as he's revealed himself, the very standard of what is possible and impossible. Okay? Now, that doesn't mean that in taking the authority of God's word as ultimate that we don't care very much about the abilities of human reasoning and things like that. Of course, we want to reason with the unbeliever, right? Okay? But we always reason from a foundation, don't we? And that foundation needs to be uh, Christ and his word. Because Christ and his word stands over all, even our reasoning. Indeed, reasoning itself is revelational of God, the source of all rationality. We therefore understand reason as a tool under the lordship of Christ, as opposed to the notion of reason as judge over God whether he exists or not. It is not human reason, therefore God. Rather, it is God, therefore human reasoning. Human rationality requires the ultimacy, or, or rather the ultimately rational God as its foundation, an atmosphere in which it exists and functions, as the scriptures say. For in him we live and move and have our being, Acts 17, 28. Okay. So we start with God's revelation. And it is God's revelation that gives meaningfulness to our very reasoning capacities, okay? But what does that mean? I mean, when we say we start with God, people often ask, well, how, how do we start with God? Don't we start with our own reasoning? Well, well, yeah, and that, that we do. Uh, but we need to kind of um, have a, a correct understanding of what it means to start with, right? When we speak of our starting points, okay? When it is said that God, therefore reasoning, when I make that, when I kind of gave that quick little statement there, this is not to be understood in terms of like temporality and chronology, but rather I'm speaking of metaphysical priority. God is metaphysically prior. For finite reasoning to exist and be intelligible, 
it must exist and function within the metaphysical reality of the ultimately rational God upon which all derivational rationality exists and has its meaning. Okay? I'll say that again. For finite reasoning to exist and be intelligible, it must exist and function within the metaphysical reality of the ultimately rational God upon which all derivational rationality exists and has its meaning. When I speak of derivational rationality, I'm speaking of limited finite rational persons or uh, ration, rationality that is derived from something more fundamental than it. That's what we speak of when we say derivational. It is derived. Our rationality as human beings are derivational of something more foundational. And as Christians, that more foundational is God himself. Okay? Because the triune God is metaphysically ultimate and all derivational reality exists and is sustained by him. Okay? Hebrews 1.3, check it out. The derivational rationality of finite creatures exists within, is based upon, and is revelatory of the triune God. Man exists within the context of God and his revelation. Isn't that right? Well, the believer, therefore, starts the reasoning process acknowledging the triune God as the metaphysically ultimate context through which the reasoning process itself has its possibility, meaningfulness, and intelligibility. This is very, very important. All right? All right, well, I suppose I could go on, um, but I think that's, that's good. I, I, can, I could unpack that a little more and go into different applications, but I think this is enough to kind of get um, a good perspective as to where a presuppositional uh, methodology is coming from. Really, it's coming from the authority of God, trusting in the authority of God, um, not, um, how can I say, we're, we're not thinking less honorably as we ought of the greatness of divine wisdom, but rather the presuppositional apologist uh, seeks to place the greatness of divine wisdom at center stage of our worldview perspective. It's at the, the greatness of divine wisdom is placed at center stage in our reasoning, in our interactions with unbelievers. Okay? This is very, very important. And I think when we do so, we honor Christ in our apologetic. Okay? Now, again, there are so many different things that we could talk about at this point, but I think this is enough to um, uh, wet your whistle a little bit. Okay? <laughs> All right. Well, if you have any questions um, that you'd like me to answer or a topic you'd like me to address on the podcast, you could reach me at revealedapologetics at gmail.com. Um, of course, if you want me to write an article or something like that, I have a blog. Um, there's only one article up there now. I'm going to try to get some more articles up there. But um, you could um, send me your request, and if I'm able to, I'll, I'll write a blog article, and you can check it out on the website. All right? Um, well, uh, that's it for today. I hope this is useful and beneficial to you. And uh, if you have not already, uh, please check out the Revealed Apologetics YouTube channel and subscribe. That'd be great uh, uh, greatly appreciated on my end. And as I said at the beginning, if you're enjoying the content here on the podcast, uh, it, it would greatly um, make me happy if you go on iTunes and write a positive review. That'd be greatly appreciated. All right, well, that is it for today's episode. Thank you so much for listening. Take care and God bless. Bye-bye.